Our scripture reading this afternoon is from Psalm 29. The passage is printed on page 10 of your bulletin, and it will also be projected on the screen behind me. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Audrey. Okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids Bulletin. Um, you can find that now, and there's a spot on there where you can uh, jot down three things that I want you to specifically listen for that I'm gonna mention during the sermon. Here they are. The first is uh, thunderstorms. Secondly, redwoods. And then thirdly, sleeping in a boat. So thunderstorms, redwoods, and sleeping in a boat. So with that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we go to God's word together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that it is absolutely true and that you've given it to us because you love us. And so to that end, Father, we pray that you would be gracious to us now, that you would open our eyes to ultimately behold your son Jesus in all of his beauty and in all of his glory. For we pray it all in his name. Amen. So we've been, uh, we've actually been in our new house now for just over a year, and I'm no doubt have experienced this. Anytime you move into a new place, it just takes time to get used to how you do particular things. Um, that's actually also been true uh, of our dog, Tilly. Uh, she's had to kind of figure out what life looks like in the new place. One thing that didn't take her any time at all, though, is uh, finding her hiding place during thunderstorms, or fireworks, or just a little bit of rain, actually. Anything that sounds remotely like any of those things, in fact. So uh, she, like most dogs, um, is scared to death of storms. So with the first crack or even like slight rumble of thunder, she tucks her tail, uh, immediately leaves the room and goes and tucks herself back into our closet with no windows, right? And uh, she will stay there as long as she has to uh, with no food, no water, no going outside. She spent about three hours there this morning. Um, her record is in the range of 18 to 20 consecutive hours. So she's not messing around, right? This is very much her safe place, okay? Um, but here's the thing, to, to her credit, if you step back for a moment and think about thunderstorms, there's something legitimately scary about them, right? And it's one thing to, to kind of be safe inside or to turn on your, your noise machine so that you have like the rumble of thunder, but it's something completely different. If you were ever outside, and you get stranded in the middle of a storm in a place where there's no shelter, 
Maybe you're out hiking someplace or you're even up exposed on a mountain and this powerful storm comes in and you've got no place to go. And the, the, the immediate response that you have at that moment is, is like this uh, little glimpse that all of our technology kind of uh, um, keeps us from seeing sometimes um, uh, of how powerless we are in these elements and how powerful they actually are. And so here's what's really interesting about this psalm. The voice of the Lord in this psalm is compared to a thunderstorm. So David says that the voice of the Lord thunders. He says it it breaks down trees. He says it flashes, it moves mountains. He says it shakes an entire wilderness. And uh, this is hard to see on a first read like this, but um, commentators actually point out that based on the, the, the cities and the regions that are mentioned in this psalm, what's actually being pictured is a storm moving from the northern part of Israel all the way down to the southernmost tip. And the point is to show that the Lord has power over this entire land, that this storm that he commands covers everything. And so you might hear that and go, okay, I, I get that. Why would David write a psalm like this? Like, why would comparing the voice of the Lord to a thunderstorm be something that that would be comforting or or, or helpful or hopeful to us, right? I mean, we just talked about how scary storms actually are. So I I, want to point out a couple things that I think might be helpful for us to keep in mind as we make our way through this psalm. And here's the first. Um, What Psalm 29 does is actually uses a whole lot of the same language and poetry describing other pagan gods, specifically the Canaanite god, Baal. And so there's some, some poetry that, that in, in Canaanite religion that describes Baal as the, the storm god. And so supposedly Baal had power over the weather. Uh, but here's the thing about this. It's not so much that the similarity to those accounts that's the point. The point that David's making is the difference between Yahweh, the true God, and Baal. And the difference is that Yahweh is the one who has power not just over the storms, but over every single thing in creation. And Baal has none at all. And so it's also important to see here that it's not at all difficult for the Lord to control those storms. What you see over and over again is that all he has to do is speak. And so here's the point. The point is that there is only one God who has this all-encompassing authority, strength, and power. And here's the thing, you could hear that and think, okay, that makes a lot of sense for David to be making, making a point here about how Yahweh is the one true God, Baal is nothing. I don't know about you, but maybe like the sins that you're struggling with in your life probably don't include Baal worship, right? Like that's not something that's at the fore of your thoughts. Here's the thing though, you do know what it is to feel like the circumstances of your life are completely out of control and chaotic. And you do know what it is to to feel a temptation to look elsewhere for some kind of security and some kind of uh, control. Whether that's conflict in your family that feels so complex and so difficult that it's hard for you to even see a possible way forward, let alone hope that it could actually happen. Or when things feel so tough financially that you are literally at a point where you're not sure if you can pay rent next month and you never thought you'd be in that place. Or where it feels like in your marriage right now, you are so locked up 
and so set in your ways that, that it's hard to imagine things ever actually changing. So here's what's uh, interesting about the way the Bible talks about storms. The Bible talks about storms as these chaotic events that are happening in the life of people. And we know exactly what those kind of storms feel like. Those things against which you feel totally powerless and there are those kind of storms all over our lives. Here's the beautiful part about this psalm though. It's this, that the same God who is Lord of those storms that he's talking about in this psalm is the God who David says in verse 11 can actually give you strength and peace right in the middle of those storms of your life, no matter what they are. And so Psalm 29 is this long extended meditation and reflection on this all-encompassing power of the Lord. And so here's how I want you to think about this. It's almost like what David's doing here is pulling back the veil on all of the chaos, on all of the fear, on all of the places in your life where you feel out of control. And he's giving you a picture of what's really going on. He's giving you a picture of who is really in charge of what's going on in the midst of that storm. And what he ultimately says is that you really can have strength and this peace that the Lord provides in the middle of the chaos because you know the one who's the Lord of the storm. And so here's the question I wanna ask and answer as we look at this psalm. How can we know that strength and peace in the midst of the storm? How can we know that? So three different ways from the psalm. First is this, it's by worshiping him, by worshiping him. So David opens the psalm with these two commands to worship the Lord. You see this in verses one and two. He says, ascribe to the Lord glory, he goes on to say, worship the Lord. A couple important things for us to see here. One is this, uh, in calling us to worship, David is here tapping into what, what is one of the most basic parts of who we are. And it's that, that you fundamentally were created to worship. We're created ultimately to, to worship God, but what we've done in our sin is refuse to do that. Here's the important thing to see about this though. Just because we refuse to worship God doesn't mean we stop worshiping, right? All we've done instead is we've begun worshiping things other than the Lord of, of the Bible. This is what the, the Bible calls idolatry. What we've started doing is ascribing, ascribing glory to things other than the God of true glory. And so part of what David's doing here in a really basic way is calling us back to the worship that we're created for this worship of God himself. Here's the other thing that's important to notice that and this might seem a little odd if you step back and think about it. Um, David commands us to worship. And here's why that might seem a little weird because I, I think most of the time when we think about worship, if you just ask someone what is worship, they would say, well, it's something like this emotional act that expresses the feelings of love and adoration that I have for God. And no doubt, that is a key part of what worship is, right? But, but here's the thing. Um, if that is all worship is, if that's all that it is, then it almost doesn't make sense to command somebody to worship. Because you think like, how could I be commanded to feel a certain way? Or, or what do I do when I don't feel that sort of love and affection to the Lord. Can I still worship? Because if it's only ever about expressing this love and affection for God, then there are gonna be times where I feel like a fraud, where I feel like a hypocrite in worship. 
And so here's the thing that we need to see. That's actually not the, the, the exclusive way that the Bible thinks about worship. And it's, it's not even the way that the Bible talks about the way that our affections and our desires and our loves ultimately change. Because uh, worship in the Bible is not just an expression of the love of God. It is that. But worship is also something that actually forms and shapes and cultivates that very love of God in our hearts. And that's, that's a huge point to see. Worship is not just expressive, it's also formative. It shapes us. And so uh, Eugene Peterson, he probably overstates this, but uh, he makes this point pretty well. He says, uh, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. And so um, this is why we, we talk about this pretty often, but this is why our liturgy is shaped the way it is. So our liturgy every week rehearses this true story of the gospel for us. Um, th- th- this is also why we sing the songs that we sing. So um, if you're new to Trinity um, and maybe new to some of the songs we sing, it, it might've struck you that, that our songs are a little bit wordy, like maybe more than just a little bit, right? <laughs> Um, I remember when I was a freshman at TCU, I got involved with RUF, which is our uh, denomination's campus ministry, and we were singing some of these songs, and I came in and thought, like, there's a whole lot going on in these songs, right? Uh, the, the reason that we sing these type of songs, though, the reason that we sing these songs that, that, are, that are rich in biblical content and theological content is because those songs actually shape what we believe about God, they shape what we believe about him, and they actually begin to shape and cultivate our love for God by showing us who he really is. And so here's the question then. What, what does this mean then for the chaos and the fears and the storms in our lives? What it means is that as you worship this all-powerful God, you're actually becoming the kind of person who knows and believes that your God is trustworthy in the midst of the storm that he really is the one who speaks and things happen, that he really is the one who has power over every single thing that's happening and that he has this sovereign care and concern for you as his child. So that's one of the key ways that that we grow in in experiencing the strength and rest uh, of God is by worshiping him. Secondly, we grow in experiencing this strength and this peace by hearing his voice by hearing his voice. So um, you probably noticed this when, when Audrey read the psalm. That phrase, the voice of the Lord, is used over and over and over again. And, and it really lands with you when you hear it read. It's actually said seven times uh, in this psalm. And uh, in the Bible, that number seven is actually pretty important. It's the, the, the number of completion because it's, it's patterned after the creation week. And so part of what David wants us to see is that the voice of the Lord is what stands behind every single thing that happens. That he has complete and utter power over all things. And he gives a bunch of examples of this in the psalm. I'm just gonna highlight a couple of them. Uh, Take a look at verse three. He says that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. So I I mentioned this earlier, but that the waters in the Bible represented this chaos. And so even uh, these other pagan creation accounts would open with these gods doing battle in the midst of this chaos of the water. What David says is that Yahweh has all power over those waters and all he has to do to exercise that power and authority is to speak. 
One other highlight in verse five. David says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. He says again that it breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Um, that phrase might not land with you in a, a really powerful way. The, early, uh, the, the original audience would have known exactly what's being said here. Because these cedar trees were these massive, strong, proud trees that nobody could knock down. It was sort of like saying that the voice of the Lord breaks the thousand-year-old redwoods in California. Those redwoods that are over 350 feet tall and 15 feet wide. That's the kind of power that his voice has. But uh, it, what's interesting is that that, that phrase, the, the voice of the Lord, uh, is found throughout Scripture. It was this same voice of the Lord that spoke the world into existence. It's the same voice of the Lord that the author of Hebrews says upholds the, word, the, the world even now by the word of his power. It's the, the, the same voice that, that comes on Mount Sinai to Moses in the Exodus. It's also, though, the same voice that you hear some in the New Testament. It's the voice that we hear at Jesus' baptism where the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. It's the same voice that you hear at the transfiguration that says something similar as Jesus is revealed in his glory. And it's the same voice, this is really interesting, that John mentions in John chapter 12 that sounds like thunder. The voice that, that, that says that Jesus is about to reveal the glory of God through his self-giving death on the cross. Here's the point. It's the voice of the Lord that has this all-encompassing ultimate power over every single thing in your life. And here's what that means. It means that the voice of the Lord is the only voice that can speak the comfort and the order into the chaos of your life that you and I long for. And, and part of why this is so important is that they are, there are a million other voices that are vying for your attention right now. Voices that are, that are trying to tell you where real life is found. Voices that, that, that are trying to tell you that, that if you will just go do what you most want, what your heart most desires, regardless of what it is, then you're ultimately gonna be satisfied and find what it is that you're looking for. And the problem, of course, is that none of those other voices could ever deliver on what they promise. They promise this peace where there is no peace. And so part of experiencing the strength and real peace that God promises comes by listening to his voice. So how do we do that? Psalmist here, um, obviously he's talking about uh, the voice of the Lord in creation, uh, revealed through his creation through providence. Here's the other place though that we hear the voice of the Lord. It's in scripture itself. The very word of the Lord. Um, one of my favorite hymns that we sing is, um, is Laden with Guilt and Full of Fears. It was actually playing uh, beforehand, uh, before worship started today. It's by Isaac Watts. I just wanna read the, the, the first verse for you. It's this great hymn that talks about the, the beauty uh, of the word of God. Laden with guilt and full of fears, I fly to thee, my Lord, and not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word. The volumes of my Father's grace does all my griefs assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face in every page. The, the, the place to go in the midst of your fear and your chaos is to the voice of the Lord in Scripture. 
Because it's going to be there that you are reminded of who God really is. You're going to be reminded of, of the way that he's at work in this world, and you're going to be reminded that he's at work in this world for your good in particular. And so what David says is when you hear his voice, that all you can do in, is, in the words of verse 9, is cry glory when you're faced with who God really is. So that's the second way. Thirdly and finally, we experience his strength and his peace by beholding his majesty, by beholding his majesty. So uh, David ends this psalm by highlighting God's majesty. He does, uh, uses a couple images to, to do this. Look at verse 10. He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Uh, and that word for the flood there is actually the only other time in scripture that it's used outside of Genesis 6 through 9, where uh, the Lord's talking about the, the flood that, uh, of judgment in Noah's day. So part of what he's saying here is that the Lord rules and reigns over the judgment and the chaos of that flood, but he also rules and reigns over it in such a way that those waters are gonna subside when he tells them to, and he's gonna rescue his people in the middle of it. Second half of verse 10, he makes it uh, this point super clearly. He says, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Here's the thing uh, that's interesting about this. To this point, um, David really hasn't made any sort of uh, direct application for us. He hasn't said much about what this means specifically for God's people. He does, though, in verse 11. He says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And so it, here's the thing. You could read this far in the psalm, and you could hear uh, uh, of the Lord's great power. You could hear of his voice that, that thunders over all things and even of his reigning over the judgment of the flood. And that could absolutely terrify you. And that wouldn't be a, a totally inappropriate response to that. That our God, the true God, the God of the Bible is one who has all encompassing power and authority and control over every single thing that happens. And that should, should, should bring about a sense of awe in us that recognizes and even trembles in the face of that kind of power. But what David says in verse 11 is that God's kingship, his authority, his majesty is the best possible news for his people. Because what that means is that if you've given yourself to the Lord by putting, putting your faith in his son, then you can actually experience this strength and this peace in the middle of the storm. And maybe one of the, 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 the most illustrative examples of that in the whole of scripture is what we read in Mark 4 for our gospel reading. I absolutely love this passage because Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples. They're on the Sea of Galilee and then this massive hurricane-like storm comes on them suddenly. And this actually happened pretty regularly on the Sea of Galilee, it was so low and the mountains around it were so high that these storms could come with, with this incredible intensity. And so the storm hits, the disciples do exactly what we would do, which is completely freak out, right? Uh, and to make matters worse, Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's asleep in the boat. In the boat. Um, what I love about this passage, though, is what they say when they wake him up. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And that is the exact question that you and I wrestle with in the midst of the chaos of our lives. Jesus, don't you care? 
Because there are a lot of times where it feels like maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't really care. And so it's at that moment that Jesus awakes. He, he, and Mark says what he does then is rebuke the wind. And he says to the sea, peace, be still. And everything goes calm. Here's how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, the wind and the waves recognize Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that had made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. I think that this starts to get at what is one of the biggest questions of all. Because it really is one thing to, um, to appreciate and to recognize that God is in control of the storms of your life right now. But here's the real question in the midst of that. How can I know that that's actually a good thing for me? Like, how, how can I know that this is not God just turning the screws on me here? How can I know, in the words of the disciples, that he actually cares for me in the midst of all of what's going on that he has control over? Here's the answer. You can be absolutely certain that he cares for you because that same all-powerful God gave his very son for you. And so Paul says in Romans 8, 32, that if God didn't spare his own son, if he didn't withhold his son from you, then how could he not also with him graciously give you all things? How could he ever withhold anything good from you or be anything but good to you if he's already given his son? This all-powerful God gave his very son for you so you can be confident that, that you can trust him then in the absolute worst storms of your life. The kind of storms where you feel completely helpless, you feel completely powerless, and you feel completely out of control. And so Paul goes on to say in that same passage in Romans 8 that we looked at for assurance of forgiveness, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, listen to this whole list, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So don't for a second be tempted to go towards those other voices. Go to this one who is himself the very word of God, the voice of the Lord incarnate. Because it's, it's this one who's given himself for you. It's this one who offers himself to you. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. We ascribe glory to you. For Lord, you, you are the creator of all things. You are the sustainer of all things. You rule and you reign over everything right now. And Father, we confess to you the ways that, that we fail to trust you in the midst of all the hard things that are happening in our lives, even the stuff that's going on right now. And so Lord, we, we pray that you would forgive our unbelief and that you would enable us to look to your son 
and to know that you would never withhold anything good from us and that we can trust you in the midst of that. We pray that you do that in us by your spirit, for we pray it all in Christ's name and for his glory.